Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Podcast, equipping people to live successful Christian lives. through the summer road trip series, we're taking a look at these phrases that have made their way into our lives, but we find they're not quite in God's word. I think we all have those sayings, right? We have those ones that are perfectly crocheted into blankets. They're hanging on the wall in the bathroom. You know those functional sayings we keep in our back pocket, but if we were to dig a little deeper into them, we would realize that they're not quite 100% accurate. Those are the ones that we were taking a look at through this summer road trip series. And last week, Pastor Julie did an awesome job kicking off. Can we just give her a hand? She did an awesome job kicking off our series where she broke down the phrase, God wants me to have an easy life. It's true God promises to bless us, but he does not promise that our life will be easier without trials. But instead, he wants us to have an enduring faith, a faith that pushes past this idea of easy. And today, I want to tackle another phrase, and maybe you've heard it before. It says, God helps those who help themselves. Have you said that before, maybe? Or maybe you've heard someone say that to you. I know I have. I've heard this said to me many times, especially since I became a Christian. And it was often quoted as a reminder to work hard, to be diligent, that if I desired to have any level of success, then I needed to do what? understand that God helps those who help themselves. And it was always quoted with such authority that I was sure that it was in God's word. I know that many people felt the same way, but the Barna Group did this study, and they found that 75% of Americans agree that this is taught in the Bible. It also topped the polls as the most widely known Bible verse. God helps those who help themselves. Do we know where this comes from, what Bible verses is from? Ben, hey, you're getting ahead of me here. Come on, don't steal my punchline. It's a trick question. It's not found in the, in the Bible. And you wouldn't be alone if you did think that it was. But if it's not a Bible verse, then how has it become a popular saying amongst us Christians? It was actually pinned by Benjamin Franklin. In 1757, he wrote them in his publication, The Poor Richard's Almanac. Uh, if you're not familiar with this, it's, just, it's, a, it's a gathering of daily forecasts. It's a household tips. It's contained proverbial sayings, and many households at this time had one. They didn't have the weatherman, so Benjamin Franklin was their weatherman. And so it's easy to see how this idea could have spread. But Benjamin Franklin wasn't the original author of this saying either. We find that it actually wasn't Christian in nature at all. It actually comes from an ancient, a collection of ancient Greek stories called Aesop's Fables, where originally the quote is, the gods help those who help themselves. It's funny to know that it comes from that context. I mean, we're not surprised that Greek literature has made its way into American publications. We are in the Western world, after all. But it's strange that Benjamin Franklin would transpose this idea onto one as if it was from God. But let's let's just keep all that in mind. But even though we've discovered that it's not in the Bible, nor did it originate from Christian context, let's still kind of think and take that thought to its end goal. What is this phrase really trying to say to us? At its best, it is saying that we should be hardworking, 
If we will do so, then we will find favor with God. And I think we would all agree that we should be hardworking people, right? That laziness is not a virtue. It's not something that we should pursue. We should desire to work hard. But at its worst, it is saying that those who are in need are there because they refuse to help themselves and that they do not have favor with God. And therefore, since their current circumstances of their own doing, I then have no responsibility to lend a helping hand. Can we see how this idea might be problematic? So therefore, if you're not doing enough, God won't bless you, both you or your family. Therefore, God's favor is now performative in nature. And this is often the context that I have heard this this phrase spoken in, but it does not align with Scripture. Because you see, God often turns his attention to those who are unable to help themselves. What about John 4? We see the woman at the well. She's done nothing to earn his favor. If anything, she's disqualified herself from the favor of God. Yet Jesus comes and he steps in and he speaks a better word to her. He, he shows her the way to eternal life. What about Mark 5, 1 through 20, where Jesus sets free the demon-possessed man who's been living chained up in a graveyard. This man was mutilating himself. He had no means by which he could help himself. Yet Jesus and his grace stepped in and had mercy on him. You see, Jesus teaches us differently. He's often teaching about helping and serving those in need. And we see parable after parable where Jesus chose to help those who were incapable of helping themselves. Our Jesus intervenes on behalf of the needy. Another example that we see is the Good Samaritan, which is found in Luke 10, 25, and 37. This is the text we're gonna camp out in today. And in this text, we are taught that God has helped us. Now we are to join him in helping others, amen? Will you pray with me today? God, we just come, and before we open your word, Lord, we just invite you into this place. Lord God, I just ask that as we ponder the sayings, ponder the things that we allow into our lives, God, that we would take them to their end destination. And Lord, that we would find your truth. God, that you would help us in these moments, God, and help us just to be better doers of your word. So God, as we open your word, let us just be marveled at your mercy and at your goodness. So Father, we thank you and we praise you for that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, if you have your Bible, turn to Luke 10, 25 through 37. If you don't have a Bible, we have it up on the screen or we have it in our app as well. All right, so Luke 10, 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, teacher, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he, Jesus, said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, 
And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He being the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. Have you ever found yourself in the place of the lawyer? Knowing what God's word says about loving your neighbor, but lacking the depth that brings you to action. That place where you have great intentions, but a lack of follow through. Here's a lawyer who's an expert, he's a, he has an expertise in the law and the interpretation of it. He's a man who's in a place of leadership. He's actually teaching people in the temple. Yet he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? I think that's a great question, though. I think it's one that we should take a moment, we should ponder. You know, most of us, we, we have probably about a few hundred people that live within walking distance of our home. How am I supposed to know their names, let alone love them? The lawyer was looking to justify himself, though, maybe even rationalize his own lack of love for neighbor. You see, he had plenty of zeal for God, but failed to allow that love to permeate out towards others. Can you feel his inner tension as he talks with Jesus? The good news is that this parable is for us. It's to encourage us, to correct us, and it's ultimately here to show us that we have a responsibility to those around us. Amen, church? But what do we do with this? Well, we do what Jesus charged the lawyer to do. We show mercy to those in need, and this is our main point for today. God has helped us, so now we join him in helping others. But how? I think we need to start by empathizing with people. We need to be able to imagine ourselves as the one who's in the ditch on the side of the road. If we're going to show mercy to those around us, we need to empathize with the one who's in the ditch. This was Jesus' rebuke of the religious leaders. Jesus wants the lawyer to place himself in the shoes of the one who's been robbed. And he does this by telling a story. One that was more than actually just an analogy. You see, this story of the Good Samaritan was known to be a real, true story of the day. The trek from Jerusalem to Jericho was known to be a dangerous one, so much so that it actually got titled The Bloody Way, because there were so many robberies that happened along this path. As Jesus is sharing this, they're actually on their way to Jerusalem along this same path. And my, spe my speculation is that Jesus knows that the lawyer has actually traveled this path before, that he has an immediate context for the story that Jesus is telling him. 
but yet it still comes to a surprise to all the hearers that of the behavior of these religious leaders. I mean, who were they waiting for to help this man? Were they waiting for the government? Were they waiting for someone who was less busy? Or did they do the kind Christian thing where as they drove by, they just stretched their hand out and said, Lord, please bless them and allow AAA to come just a little bit faster. Come on, be honest. You know who you are. We've all done that a time or two. Why wouldn't they stop, though? It's likely that they were making their way home. You see, in that day, it was known that many of the priests lived in Jericho. So they're coming down from Jerusalem back to Jericho along this path. And in those days, the priests, they worked two-week shifts at the temple. And at that time, uh, you did not get compensated into, straight into a bank account. You didn't get it on a debit card. You weren't handed cash when things were done. You were, you were paid in the offerings and with animals, with physical goods. And so in that time, though, if you were to come in contact with someone that was injured or you came in contact with a dead body, you would become ritually unclean. Well, why does that matter? They've already finished their task. They're on their way home. What you don't understand, though, is that anything that they were carrying with them became unclean as well. Imagine that, that you stop and you help somebody, and now two weeks' worth of your pay is gone. That puts it into a little bit of a different light for us, doesn't it? I mean, I think I would have to probably do one of those things, like, brother, I'm going to have to pray on this one, Right? But just imagine that for a moment, that if you stop, you're compromising your livelihood. You're compromising your pay. But should we feel bad for the priest? No. Jesus is saying that they should have done it anyways. Because it's the godly thing to do. What price can you and I place on a human life? Is grain and a goat worth more than the life of one of God's children? If anything, the priest had more resources to aid that one that, was, that had been harmed. But they had an underlying belief that they used to justify their actions. Man, we always can use that one thought to justify ourselves, can't we? So you see, what you believe in the sayings you adapt in your life, they matter. But there was a prevailing idea in that day that those who were in trouble or in need deserved their problems. If they were going through hardship, it was God's judgment on their life for not following the law and its teachings. This bears a little bit of resemblance to our saying, doesn't it? God helps those who help themselves. And I think as we ponder that into our own lives, we need to take that into a little bit of a daily application. And I think maybe um, if I can put you into a daily situation or into a situation, what do you do when you're walking downtown and you see the drunk homeless man. I think we've all walked downtown and probably have had some type of interaction in our life. Do we immediately assume that that person is getting what they deserve? That they are there rightfully by their own decisions? Or maybe you step to the other side of the walkway and not make eye contact just like the priests did? Or do we extend a warm hey, how are you 
today, rehumanizing the person that's been dehumanized by culture. But yet, when they ask for money for food, do we extend an invitation to lunch? Would we invite this person to our table? See, I think we need to be careful as God's people that we do not use our own salvation and our own worldview as a weapon against our neighbor. That we don't turn the mercy that we've received from God into the shackle of the one who has yet to be set free. God in all of his goodness gave us undeserved mercy so that we may show it to the person that is undeserving. Are we willing to help others even if it will cost us something? Or are we going to look the other way, passing on the other side of the road? You see, we can no longer rationalize away those who are hurting in our communities. If God sees them, should we not see them as well? But this should, this should cause us to take action. You know, we see the Samaritan who's praised in contrast to the religious leaders The Samaritan had compassion in his heart when he saw the injured man. It says that he was filled with empathy. The Samaritan chose to stop and to bind up his wounds. He took care of him overnight and then even paid for his ongoing care. I mean, whoa. What a contrast to what we see the religious leaders of the day doing. For us, it may not always be as dramatic as finding someone half dead in a ditch on the side of the road, then picking them up, driving them to the hospital, and then covering the entirety of their medical bill. But maybe God is asking you to bring your neighbor a dinner after they've lost a loved one. Maybe God this summer is nudging you to go and sit with your elderly neighbor who does not have any family in town, just spend one hour a week and just so that someone is asking, how are you doing? Even if it's not an exuberant act, I believe that God is calling us to do something, church. We need to ask ourselves, are we okay with living a faith that is only in our heads? The Samaritan did not have everything perfectly figured out theologically, that's a whole nother talk for another day that we could get into. But the Samaritan still perfectly demonstrated the love for neighbor that God has called us to. So even if God blesses us, church, these blessings are not for us to selfishly hold. We need to live open-handed because oftentimes God blesses us so that we can extend those blessings out to one another. I believe that he's calling us to do this in our everyday life. That this isn't our Sunday life, this isn't our Saturday hobby life. This is as we are going about our life actions. Because in the passage it said that by chance a priest was passing by. You may today be someone's by chance person. You may be the one person who is walking by and notices their situation. It wasn't the responsibility of a believer miles and miles away. It wasn't about bringing in the right specialist to tackle the problem. It was the one who was in proximity. 
Do we have our eyes open to see those who are around us? And when we do see them, God is only calling us to do what we can do. You can't be Superman. You're not Superwoman. You see, the the Good Samaritan performed a remarkably generous act, but he did not bankrupt himself. And I feel like most people fear that if they step out of the way and they help someone, all of a sudden any type of margin they had in their life is going to be immediately gone. They're immediately going to be gone, known as, hey, that's the charitable guy that helps everybody out. You just ask him and he's going to give you money. Or, hey, I helped this one person out, so now I'm receiving all these you know, calls for help in the middle of the night. I mean, wow, to have that much impact would be awesome, but it's probably not going to happen, Right? But I think that this is the fear that we kind of get set in. We, we think that if we help one person, then all of a sudden everyone is going to be coming straight to us. But the good Samaritan did what only he could do. He wasn't able to restore the wounded everything that he had lost. He wasn't able to get everything back that was stolen. He was able to help him get on his feet and begin to heal. The good Samaritan provided for the wounded but God provided for the Good Samaritan to help the wounded. So today, God has given us blessings, not so that we can hold them to ourselves, but that we might help bind up the wounds of those who are hurting in our community because our hospitality matters. Do you believe that? That our hospitality matters, that our efforts to help those in need matter. And what you see is, The ancient church understood this. That those just hundreds of years after Jesus spoke these words got this. And a nation was flipped upside down by God. You see, their faithfulness to being a good neighbor frustrated an entire nation. And many were saved because of it. It was recorded in history that there's a letter uh, from a Roman Empire, and we're going to close with this. And it was recorded in 300s AD. And the Roman Emperor Julian, writing in the 4th century, regretted the progress of Christianity because it pulled people away from the Roman gods. He said, atheism, referring to the Christian faith, has been specifically advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. It is a scandal that there is not a single Jew who is a beggar, and that the godless Galileans care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well, while those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. I think the ancient church was on to something that there wasn't a single poor found among their ranks, that when there was still poor left after they had already solved their own problems, they decided to solve the culture's problems. And yet they were not without lack. What if we did what we could do to help those around us? You You know, when we look back in time, we see the church responding over and over again. We see the church responding to the needs in the community, and amazing innovations had been made. Schools were started because there was a lack of education for children. 
Hospitals were formed because there was no one to care for the sick. Orphanages were put together and established because there was a culture that did not care for their children. But there was a people that saw the image of God on them. I think it's time for us to dream again, church. I think it's time for us to look out into the culture, to recognize the problems that are at hand, and to ask God, what would you have us to do? What if the biggest critique of the church was not its latest scandal, but that it was caring too well for the needy? When the church has gotten this right, it has changed everything. We can argue that it has changed the world. But I think that we need to ask God again, what are you doing now? Imagine if we would pursue God in prayer and then we would open our eyes to the world. What amazing things would God do through us? And I believe that as we are entering into some financially uncertain times that God might be calling us to do something similarly again. I don't think we have to watch any news outlet for more than just a few moments to, uh, to see that maybe things financially in our country are not going the way we would hope. Okay, maybe there's some fear-mongering going on, but I think it's something that we should still be aware of. What if, as we approach these times, maybe some of us are financially insulated enough that those times won't come to us? but they probably will to many. Are we willing to step up? Are we willing to aid those who are needy in our community? Are we willing to help those who will go without to maybe have something to take our blessings and to bless someone else? I think it's easy for us to clam up in these times and to make an effort towards uh, self-preservation, but this just does, this just does not seem compatible with the way of Jesus. This is our time to rise to the occasion, church. And I believe that in these days, he is calling us to prepare, to make a way, and to provide for the needy. Because we don't live by the saying that says that God helps those who help themselves. In turn, our response is, because God has helped us, we should now join him in helping others. Amen? Amen. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you today. God, we praise you for all that you've done. God, what you're doing in our lives. For God, for the heart that you are installing in us. Lord, I ask right now that you would place in us the heart of the Good Samaritan. Lord, that you would help us to show mercy as you've commanded it, that we would go and do likewise. And Father, I ask that you would just give us strength. Lord, that as we look and we see all that you're doing across this earth, God, that you are just calling us to do our part. Lord, knowing that you, where you call us, you equip us. Lord, and where you've called us to respond to a need, you will provide a means. But God, allow us to trust you, to trust you in and through this process, to know that you are good and that you are holy. And Lord God, that like your word says, that as we go out, 
you will not leave us alone, that you will be with us, and that we will be ministering alongside you. So, Lord, I just ask that you'd help us to have courage to be those kinds of people, that you would help us, God, just to be a little bit more like you today, God. So, Lord Jesus, come and just change our hearts, work on us, do a deep work that we couldn't do on ourselves. Jesus, we just thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to get in touch or would like more resources on how to live a successful Christian life, you can always find us at myabundantlife.com. Have a blessed week.